five, four, three, two, one. Lift off of the Falcon 9. Hi, I'm Mark Boucher, and this is the Space Q Podcast. This week's podcast is a live recording from the Canadian Space Summit. The opening keynote speaker for the conference was Sergey Mumert, Senior Vice President, Global Cloud and Strategic Partnerships, SES Networks. While the focus of the talk is on SES networks, with an emphasis on how they're building a cloud-optimized satellite ecosystem and their O3B medium Earth orbit constellation, it's important to note why they were a key sponsor to the conference. While SES has been doing business in Canada for many years, including owning a majority stake in Ciel Satellite Group, they are now opening a new Canadian office with the aim of having a greater presence in Canada. They've hired their first Canadian employee, John Clark, an industry veteran, as their senior sales director. Listen in. Well, good morning, everybody. Can you hear me okay? Again, my name is Sergi Mumert. I'm with SCS Networks, and really pleased to be here today. Um, I, I, uh, it's been about 15 years since I've been in Canada. We, uh, we started an f- affiliate here in Canada 15 years ago with uh, Omers, and uh, it was actually located right across the street here. So it's been quite a while since I've been back, but it's great to be here. So thank you for uh, having me. Um, today, I thought I'd give you a little update on SES. So if you're familiar with SES, I hope you bear with me. If you're not, this will be a little summary. Uh, we'll give you a little overview of what we're up to. We are in between LEO and Lunar, so I think we qualify. Um, and then also, I'll jump into the, uh, the cloud endeavors that we're in. Um, and this idea of a cloud-optimized satellite ecosystem is a kind of a, a mouthful in terms of a presentation. I basically stole it from our chief architect, so hopefully bear with me as I go through it. But um, you know, I welcome questions also afterwards. Although I do not have a, a black or purple badge, you can still ask me questions. So SES. Started over 30 years ago in uh, Luxembourg. Um, we like to call it a startup because it's a pretty crazy idea to start a satellite system in Europe. Uh, they had great broadcast television, and someone had the idea of an overlay of a satellite system to provide the programmers uh, the reach of Western Europe. In fact, they used to walk around with a presentation saying, this is the greater Luxembourg coverage area, and it was all of Western Europe. Um, this is the chateau in Betzdorf outside of Luxembourg City that uh, was the humble start of SES. Um, it was actually a pretty run-down place. It doesn't look like a place to start a satellite company, but it turned out to be a pretty good place to start a satellite company. Um, and, and today, you can imagine, uh, it's changed a bit. Uh, this is the field next to the chateau. Uh, actually, the, to the right there is the chateau yard. So this is the building out of all the different video services and data services that SES has done. Um, and now we are one of the leading satellite operators providing the content and data services. Um, we're about 2 billion in euros in revenue and about 2,500 employees. And we have offices around the globe. Uh, to provide those services. 
The way SES got to this global operator status was basically through growing this European business for broadcast and then over time acquisitions. So the company acquired um, GE Americom in the Americas to give it an American footprint. Um, and then about five years later in 2004 or five timeframe, they bought New, si New, New Skies satellites, um, which was an Intelsat uh, privatization experiment that turned out very well and provided a global coverage for SES. So that really gave SES its footprint. Uh, it was all geo capacity, both data and video services. Um, but as time goes on, you get challenges. You've got to keep innovating. You've got to keep that startup mentality. And that's something we want to share with you as we talk about the other things we've done in recent time in terms of medium Earth orbit and working with the cloud providers. Some of the things that we do, just give you a sense of some of the uh, services we offer. The top left there, we offer uh, connectivity to telcos and MNOs to extend and improve the resilience of their networks. Um, an example would be we're deploying a, uh, a mobile network in, uh, in Chad for Millicom. Um, that's giving a broader reach of their wireless network. Um, across from that, we were the first customer of SpaceX, so we take some risks. We try to expand the uh, ecosystem in terms of providers. So we were the first to geo-commercial launch for SpaceX on their new Falcon 9 rocket. Um, our SES-18 satellite was on that one. And then, sorry, SES-8. And then um, a year or two later, we were the first commercial customer for a reusable rocket. Our SES-10 satellite went up with uh, SpaceX. So taking some risks, all of them paid off very well for us. and. Uh, uh, of course, SpaceX is a tremendous provider today. Um, in the video business, we do about 80 to 100 linear channels of distribution to about a billion households. That's through direct with programmers as well as through direct-to-home service providers. Um, it's really the base of our business. It represents about two-thirds of our revenue. Um, and then our data networking business, which is growing very quickly, we serve 300 customers in about 130 countries. The example here is the cruise ships. So with O3B and the medium-earth orbit system, we can offer between 250 megabits to 500 megabits to a ship which totally changes your cruise experience. And I'll give you a funny anecdote. One of the uh, cruise operators told us of uh, feedback they got from a customer that said that they were out in the middle of the Atlantic on a wonderful cruise, and they went online onto their phone, and they were able to talk through their ring doorbell to their postman about delivering the package. And the guy's like, that's amazing. I'm in the middle of the ocean talking to my postman. And so that's what changing and affecting people's lives with connectivity. Uh, we also do a lot for humanitarian assistance and disaster recovery. We've responded to many uh, um, events. Uh, an example there would be in Maria Hit, Puerto Rico. We partnered with AT&T and Loon to restore the wireless network. Uh, effectively, the Loon system had the uh, wireless network in it, and we were the backhaul provider with O3B, so giving quick restoration of uh, infrastructure uh, during the Puerto Rican storm. Uh, and then lastly, we continue to evolve in pr providing video services and new formats. So for example, uh, we run two platforms, one in Europe and one in uh, North America for Ultra HD services. Um, and that's uh, direct to uh, cable providers. So that gives you a sense of some of the services we offer. I'm part of the SES Networks group. 
which was formed two years ago. Um, SES acquired O3B, which is the medium Earth orbit system, um, and combined it with its GeoHTS satellites to, to create a data network service company. Our goal is to provide connectivity that changes people's lives and improves them. And we go to market through verticals. We work with governments directly. We work with uh, the energy sector. We work with uh, mobility in terms of maritime crews or aeronautical. We provide a lot of connectivity to the uh, uh, in-flight connectivity providers like Panasonic, GoGo, Global Eagle, and Talus. Um, and we also work with uh, telcos and MNOs to provide services. So SES is currently the uh, only multi-orbit constellation operator. Um, we operate both in geo, about 55 geo satellites, both in wide beam and HTS formats. Um, we operate in C, KU, and K bands in the geo arc. Uh, and then we have our medium orbit system with about 20 satellites um, in KA band providing services. And the unique thing is that that medium orbit system is Metro Ethernet Forum certified, meaning that we can offer carry Ethernet services via satellite. So if you're used to buying uh, Ethernet from a terrestrial provider that's MESS certified, you can do that with a meter with orbit system. Um, the topography of the system allows for intelligent edge and, and connectivity, which means the terminals themselves have intelligence to help do virtual network functions. Um, and as I mentioned, we go to market through the various verticals you see there. Here's another way to look at our footprint. I don't know if you can see the shading very well, but basically the darker shading is the coverage of the medium Earth orbit system. It goes between uh, plus or minus 50 degrees to 60 degrees uh, latitude uh, from the equator. It's an equatorial system, so that gives you that coverage area. And then the geo picks up the rest. It's about 99% of the world's population is covered by our footprint. Um, and gives us a lot of flexibility in terms of throughputs we can offer, the service we can offer, and the markets we can serve. So that gives you a sense. And then we also have an underlying the, uh, the gateway arc architecture there. And maybe while I'm on this slide, I can give you a perspective of for Canada, we operate an HTS system called SES-15. It's in the western arc there and has a KU band HTS that covers Canada. And then we both have C and KU wide beam coverage of Canada as well, just to give you a little sense there. And for our medium orbit system, I know it's a uh, Canada's a bit north for the, its coverage area, but we do support cruise ships that go into Vancouver and Halifax. So I always find that interesting that they can get that far north with that system. Here's an example of uh, using both Geo and Mio into a single uh, use case. So, um, for many ve large vessels and cruise ships, they actually deploy both Mio and Geo terminals, so they can have uh, different services and they can maintain their links. Um, some of them are receiving broadcast feeds as well. Uh, that's all integrated into a smart network that can go back to their headquarters to manage the services. So it gives you a sense. We also do that uh, combination of uh, Geo and Mio for. Um, um, uh, telcos that also look for a high resilient network and we effectively deploy an SD-WAN so they can manage the networks automa uh, automatically. So a multi-orbit system uh, supports a multi-orbit world, so multi-cloud world, that is. Um, and so we offer various different services with Geo and Mio's that can provide different connectivity depending on your use case. So if you have a small branch that just needs something between 2 to 50 megabits of connectivity, we can do that with a Geo system really easily. Uh, as you go into larger size uh, locations and traffic, we can go mixture of Geo and Mio. Or if you really need a trunk-type service, Meter with Orbit can get you 500 to 2 gigabits. Uh, we had a program 
time where the Asian community had a, um, a summit in Papua New Guinea, and we combined a bunch of uh, Neo beams to do almost gig gigabits of connectivity temporarily for them to run that event. Um, we connect these services into the public cloud or internet, and we also are now offering connecting direct to the cloud providers and working with the majors there, as noted. Um, many customers are coming to us and saying, you know, we don't want to do our own VPN and go through the public cloud. We're not getting a very good experience. We'd like to get a private dedicated connection straight into a cloud service provider, and this allows us to do that by these partnerships. So basically, our gateways are connected directly into a port into their cloud, and that allows our customers to have direct access. Um, Basically, they're getting an SLA end-to-end -end from the premise all the way through to the cloud provider so that they know that their workloads are secure and safe. And in September, we announced the uh, becoming a launch partner with Microsoft with their Express Route. So Microsoft had the Express Route program. It's a private, dedicated connection that they do with terrestrial providers. Um, we were one of the first satellite providers to join their program to connect sites. Um, and again, as we mentioned, as the gateways are connected to Azure. And now what it's been able to do is you can actually spin up services through Azure over the satellite network. And they can be network functions like a VPN or a load balancing, or they can be some of their Azure resources uh, and, and and applications. So, um, and of course, I'll talk more about what's driving this, but this gives you a sense of sort of the topology um, uh, and architecture we're working with the different cloud providers. So, building a uh, cloud-optimized satellite ecosystem. So what's driving all this? And so what I thought I'd do is talk a little bit about, which probably you're familiar with, what's driving all this cloud discussion? And if you can imagine previously when it came to IT systems, you could probably find some good systems, you could find some fast systems, you can find some cheap systems, but it was probably hard to find all three of those. And the cloud is really that kind of proposition. You can now get things that are really resilient, they're really fast to spin up with a DevOps model, and they're inexpensive, they're consumption-based, so you use what you, you pay for what you use. And that's really driving the adoption of cloud in the enterprise world today, and, and networks are responding and adopting to this. We're seeing uh, you know, different metrics to show that it's not only a cost savings, in many ways it improves your customer's experience, retention, and you can offer new products and services to grow your business. So it's both a top-line benefit and a bottom-line benefit to your business. <clears throat> At a recent uh, IBM event, they had the insurance provider Geico uh, give an example. And they said when they first started their cloud journey, in their mind it was just another channel to their customers. They created a web-based interface to their customers. People were able to develop their insurance policies the way they wanted them. It would go through the system, and then it would just follow their normal manual processes in the back end, and they couldn't really process and handle it very well. They realized they had to implement their cloud services throughout their network to provide much more tailored services and faster. So uh, that was sort of their experience that they sort of realized it needs to be end-to-end -to, -end to really uh, drive the benefit to the customer and their own business. They saved a lot, and they actually grew their business. At the same event, the guy gave another experience, which is they have a customer bot uh, that deals with um, uh, customers uh, online, and it was uh, it's actually powered by Watson. So someone called in at 2 in the morning, insurance questions and the policy, they went through the whole thing with the bot, and at the end of the conversation, the person said, you know, uh, us, us folks that work late at night really have to stick together, and the bot sort of like, okay. <laughs> You know, but didn't know what time of day it was. But anyway, it just shows you how far these things have come in terms of uh, cloud adoption and implementation. 
At Microsoft, they see it as an ecosystem, uh, not only a uh, strong data center and hyperscale, but they're really around expanding the edge. With so many devices and so many things accessing the cloud, they all have to work together. And so their, their mindset is around developing a management plane and a user experience that's consistent regardless of where you are. And that's really driving adoption. Of course, this also is a key part of what uh, people are looking forward to using with 5G. So here you have all these industries that are out there that are in remote areas, underserved markets, that can't benefit from the intelligent edge and the intelligent cloud. And so one of the things that we've been trying to do in our business is how do you actually scale and support these? Because you can imagine their corporate headquarters and their locations are adopting the cloud. They're using it at high bandwidth and low latency, but these remote locations are on legacy systems and unable to benefit from the same services. We have a few examples. For instance, our cruise customers, as it's noted here, they see them as almost a mini data center. There's a tremendous amount of data being generated and needed by these cruise ships. Having them connected to the cloud, they oftentimes deploy a cloud instance in their ships in a disconnected mode. They'd like to have them connected. And so this is really something that helps drive their business. Obviously, the governments, the amount of information that's uh, required to actually operate uh, an unmanned vehicle as well as the amount of information it generates uh, is also needs to be managed very closely. And then the energy sector, um, both in terms of the process of, uh, of exploration, the process of extraction, uh, compliance, but also a key part to their needs is crew welfare. We want to make sure they have connectivity to drive uh, the crew is happy and keeps training and up to speed on all the latest systems. All these are driving the usage. So with a system that can actually integrate all those uh, different capabilities in different locations, as we mentioned, we operate air, sea, and land locations supporting these different industries. Um, this has really been a key driver for our SS Networks data service, and it's both for GEO and MEO, to be fair. So cloud-optimized cloud connectivity is really following the way that the cloud actually operates. It's connectivity that can be high bandwidth and it can be dynamically allocated. So what's interesting also is a lot of people always used to remember our networks being sort of forward dominant in terms of content going to the edge site. Today now those edge sites are actually contributing a lot of data back to the cloud. And that sort of network uh, dynamic has to be adjusted in the network. Um, the services have to be consumption based. It's how they consume um, the cloud services today. They can sometimes get a reservation for a portion and then they want to have ability to expand as needed. Uh, low latency for the application to be very responsive, reliable, secure, and very much a high availability is required. And oftentimes a way to get this high availability resiliency is, is actually combining networks with an SD-WAN so that it can be both a terrestrial and satellite uh, usage for that. And just to give another thing that's sort of driving it, obviously in the satellite world, we sort of always have to keep up the pace with what's going on in the terrestrial world. So the wireless world is driving standards. So if the 5G world has uh, ONAP and has LSO and a lot of other standards that are driving what the need and the way that we need to interoperate. So from our perspective at SCS, we try to make sure we follow those standards and, and use the same systems. Because in the future, what we're looking forward to is com combination of networks working together um, that you can effectively end-to-end -end give an SLA. So if you have a telco partner, they want to make sure if they're offering a threshold portion and your satellite portion, they want to make sure they offer the customer an end-to-end -end service guarantee. Those network slices have to be um, transparent and can be the same model in terms of usage base. 
in the cloud side of the world, they're trying to virtualize things. So in the cell industry, you find a lot of progress in the space segment. Both launch vehicles, dynamics and economics have really improved. Space segments really improved. But on the ground, we're still using a lot of boxes. We need to move to a more virtualized world like the cloud is and spin up instances for different services that we offer instead of running out and deploying boxes to solve it. I just put this slide in to give you a little update on space innovations at SES. So obviously electric propulsion has been a big benefit to reducing mass and cost in our operations. Um, rocket reusability with SpaceX is something you're quite aware of that we've been, uh, that the industry's been adopting from SpaceX. Uh, In-orbit servicing is something that's still at early stages, but people are looking at different ways to do that for their geosystems. <clears throat> but going digital is really the key thing that's uh, changing things. The payloads being digital, but also the ground systems that can now be operated in a virtual fashion on a cloud platform. Not all cloud system, not all satellite systems are cloud optimized. You need to use the right system for the right application. Having them work together in a seamless fashion using common interfaces is really key. Um, but this gives you examples of the different um, uh, orbits. Uh, if you imagine the industry has really been uh, geo heavy, if you will, and now we're moving into NGSO. We've been operating the NGSO or MEO system now since 2013. Um, we've learned a lot. We already started building our generation two system, which is called O3. BM power. Uh, the SO3B Classic currently um, can do about a gigabit uh, to two gigabits to a site. <clears throat> With O3BM power, we can get to 10 gigs to a site. So that's something that's really going to change uh, the market and the opportunities for us. And this, as we mentioned, our journey, we started in 2014 with a launch of uh, 12, well, two, three launches given us 12 satellites. Um, and then when we combined with SES, making a GeoMeo system, uh, that really gave us capability to combine both, uh, in place with heavy rain region, combine the K-band MEO with the C-band to give them a resilient network. Um, we then uh, uh, purchased eight more satellites, deployed them in 2018, so we get to a fleet of 20 satellites. We started our cloud partnerships with Microsoft and IBM, and then uh, now we're actually working with Amdocs on doing network uh, virtualization and orchestration, um, so we can actually automate a lot of our functions that we do in the, in the business. So when you get to the scale of O3 InPower with terabits of capacity, you want to be much more automated in your uh, provisioning and management of your system. So all those things are in our, our track to get ready for um, O3BM Power in 2022. So O3BM Power, it's a fully digitalized payload, uh, allows for onboard, uh, onboard beam forming. So the great thing about that is we can actually shape the beams, we can change the amount of capacity to each site, uh, and we can also deal with the asymmetry of the traffic. If you could be uh, return dominant or forward channel dominant, and the system can be flexible to that. Uh, the great thing also is it can be very flexible, so people don't have to buy a dedicated circuit uh, for a month. They can actually buy it on a more sh shorter basis. Um, and then we can also, um, um, the, the, the linkages we can do between gateways is also another kind of interesting. We can actually kind of go to different gateways as needed by the customer uh, and traffic patterns. Um, it's a low latency system, as we mentioned, in terms of being NGSO um, and obviously driving security and making sure it's uh, scalable over time. So our first launch is, uh, is going to involve seven satellites, but we have a constellation we could definitely fill out over time. To complement the space segment side of it, <clears throat> the ground segment needs to be advanced. So we're doing a lot to improve our gateways to be much more intelligent uh, to tra manage the traffic. Um, we're looking into uh, flat panel uh, antennas. So we've actually seeded 
contracts with three uh, partners uh, that are in development, Biosat, Alcan, and Isotropic are the three that we've started working with. Um, the goal here is to get those flat panels to a lower cost performance that can be very easy to deploy um, and eventually will be on mobile platforms as well. So all this dynamic resource, you need a, a management system that can actually help you do it all. Uh, we, we refer to ours for Empower as Adaptive Resource Control System. And it's, uh, we've selected a vendor that's going to develop this plat uh, software uh, management plane to handle all these different elements. I mean, managing the gateway assets, um, provisioning and maintaining the SLAs that we've committed to across the system, obviously managing the security and the regulatory compliance. We do a lot in terms of data management, learning the traffic patterns, trying to optimize the system, making sure that the demand and the supply of what we're doing works to well together, monitoring the performance, and simulating. Because one of the things you want to do as a, a good partner with your customers to come back with optimizations to share with them different ways that they can un run their network over your satellite. So all this is something that we're uh, putting together with this uh, adaptive resource control system. And a lot of what we've been doing, as I mentioned, is standards-based. So we mentioned the open network automation platform that uh, the industry um, is pushing. The terrestrial industry is driving these standards. We, um, people, um, parties like AT&T and Compass are supporting ONAP. Uh, these are interfaces that we're also working to support. As we mentioned, we see ourselves as part of the ecosystem with the terrestrial providers. We want to make sure we interoperate well with them, and we want to make sure those standards are available in our systems. So finally, just to give you a little sense here, there's a lot of markets that need to be served that are unserved by uh, cloud providers. What often happens is those locations end up running legacy systems. So for, an, uh, for a company, it ends up being kind of costly. They have cloud adoption in a key part of their business, but <clears throat> in remote operations, they're still running legacy systems. So uh, the ability to connect them and give them access to the cloud is a key part of the proposition. Um, future satellite systems <clears throat> have to get um, more scale, more flexibility, and uh, di more dynamic provisioning to support those future models. Um, and they have to be resilient. And so we really believe uh, using a combination of networks, could be different orbits, can be terrestrial and satellite, can be wireless and satellite, all those things together can come together to provide a more resilient network for the customer. And we think O3 and Power will be a key part of that cloud-optimized network. And then, of course, everybody in the cloud has to have a superpower. So scale and reach and performance is key. And uh, I, almost, I almost had my purple mask. I should have brought my purple mask. But anyway, thank you very much. Well, that's a wrap on this podcast. If you have comments on this episode, you can email me at podcast at spaceq.ca. I read and answer all your comments in a timely fashion. You can also find SpaceQ on Twitter at Canada in Space. And we post all our articles and podcasts to Facebook. Regardless of which app you use to listen to us, we'd really appreciate it if you could rate our podcast and write a review. Of course, that's only if you like us. Your rating and review will help us in getting the podcast widely listened to. And hey, if you like what we do, please support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash spaceq. Lastly, if you haven't listened to the latest episode of our new podcast, Terranauts, what are you waiting for? Host Ian Christie is a natural interviewer who knows how to tease good stories from those who work every day in space but don't go to space. Terranauts is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite app. Listen to it now.
Thank you, and we'll see you next week.